This is Film Spotting with Josh and Adam, one of our special marathon editions of Film Spotting. And Josh, this episode will mark the conclusion of our look at the Opu trilogy, but fortunately, not the conclusion of our look at the work of Satyajit Ray. We've got three more Ray movies to discuss as part of this marathon. Honestly, though, if Ray had called it quits after this trilogy... Wouldn't that have probably been enough to cement his legacy as one of the greatest filmmakers ever? Probably. I would have been very happy with this output, that's for sure. There you go. I guess the answer to that question, and you just did give us a hint of where you're going, depends on whether you appreciated 1957's Aparajitho and 1959's Apur Sansar anywhere close to as much as you did 1955's Pather Panchali, a film you previously said would be a strong contender for an updated list of your top 10 all-time favorite movies. We're probably going to go with the English versions of the titles of these just to spare people any future butcherings because we're going to get to some of those with the actor and actress names, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for making it easy on me. There you that. go. Yeah, we're going to have The Unvanquished and the follow-up, the final film of the trilogy, The World of Apu. The Unvanquished takes up right where Panchali ended with a young Apu, his mother and father, moving from their isolated rural home to the city of Benares to start a new life. The city streets and alleyways replacing the forest paths to provide Apu's playground. We see Apu grow into a young man who eventually leaves his mother to attend college in Calcutta. The World of Apu shows us a slightly older protagonist, leaving school due to lack of funds to work on his novel. His aspirations to be a writer echo his father father's unfulfilled dreams expressed in Pather Panchali. With Panchali, despite being 60 years old, Josh, we were careful with potential spoilers. We're always thinking about people coming to these movies for the first time and hopefully wanting to seek them out after we talk about them. And we didn't really have any problems getting at the heart of what we loved about that movie. I'm not sure it makes sense to be so sensitive about spoilers with these two films. I think most people listening probably have made the decision to seek these movies out by the time they're listening to this. And I do think that to fully consider this trilogy, we have to fully consider everything Apu experiences from birth to becoming a father himself. So did you appreciate these two films anywhere close to as much as you did Panchali? Did they expand and inform your appreciation for it because they so gracefully culminate the tale Panchali began? or maybe because they reveal Panchali to be an isolated, singular Ray masterpiece? No, I mean, I've, I've already given away that it's not a singular masterpiece. These two, if they don't match it, they come awfully, awfully close. It would be hard to recreate the experience I had with Father Panchali. Mm -hmm. And that's probably more to do with me, the fact that this story, childhood stories, when they're done that well, when they evoke memories of that experience, which fades from my own memory the older I get. I, mm -hmm. I forget more and more about what those years were like when I come across a movie that manages to capture it, both the negatives and the positives so well as Father Panchali did. It's just really special to me. And as you said, we have here in The Unvanquished the story of uh, more of an adolescent story and uh, a boy become, growing up, becoming his own man trying to find his place, uh, which is, you know, equally interesting to me in a lot of ways. What was most compelling about The Unvanquished is how it expanded. And I suggested this when we talked about Padre Panchali. A lot of the themes, the larger world themes that Padre Panchali hinted at in terms of tradition versus modernity, uh, th those really come to fruition. The role of the mother and how she faces what it means to be a woman in this mm -hmm. society, that blossoms as well. So The Unvanquished was really this this blossoming of 
those themes and also raise artistry, I felt. He was even more inventive or took other risks with the camera here. The music we've talked about, Ravi Shankar's music, mm-hmm. is uh, also a little bit more experimental, I found, in The Unvanquished. So it was something to see that leap forward just in terms of aesthetics. And then World of Opu is probably a story I'm less interested in, this artist trying to find his way. It's something we get so often in the movies. But wow, when we've become as attached to the single character as we have from the previous two films, there's no way it's not going to hold you in thrall. And I did find it interesting how World of Opu burrows back down into that central character. The the trilogy has this arc to it where we seem to start small and we get these hints of opening up into the world. The second installment, we're there with the train. I'm going to talk about trains so much. Oh, no. You have reviews. to. It's so, unavoidable. So there's the first reference. But the train that opens the unvanquished, bringing them from the rural area into the city, that opens up the world. And then here in the world of Opu, though the title would suggest an expansion, it's really going back to what you said. Now that we've watched everything this man has experienced and the loss, the amount of loss that he's experienced and where that's going to take him and what his decision is going to be moving forward is, is what this entire trilogy hinges on. And that does have to do with, as you said, his son. It just brings it full circle in an absolutely beautiful way. Yeah. You can't help talking about trains. We'll get to them even more. But that was such a key component of Padre Panchali, this symbol, really, of modernity, of getting out. And then this film, The Unvanquished, the second one, opens with a shot from the point of view of a passenger on a train. And it's not clear or it really doesn't seem to matter whose point of view it is. It could be sort of them being this transformation from one film, this transition, Mm -hmm. I should say, from the previous film to this film. It's their eyes kind of discovering the new city, but it's also our eyes discovering this new environment. Even as they go along the water, there's a similar kind of tracking shot that feels very much like the train where we're getting accustomed to this new environment. And And the steel beams, it's what they see, that they're going across this bridge of construction Mm -hmm. unlike anything they saw in their village. That's true. Yeah. And the world of Opu opens with him being awoken by the sounds of the train. He lives not too far appropriately from some train tracks, and they do factor in in other ways throughout the course of the movie. I think it's interesting what you said about how focused this movie gets, because one thing that I didn't really tap into when I watched The World of Apu over the weekend, and then I was refreshing my memory and watching some scenes here and there online, the very beginning of the movie is... Opu, as a student, he's leaving school, he's talking to a teacher or some kind of instructor who's basically saying, I really wish you weren't going, and talking to him about what he's going to do with his life. And did you notice that as he's going to the door and as he's leaving, there are chants going on outside, people saying, we demand our rights. That's no, what the subtitle says. I remember background noise, but I don't remember what the context was. The subtitle said, we demand our rights. Huh. And there's this idea, at least now that you brought it up, it makes me think, because I couldn't really place mm-hmm. why that was there, but it sort of gives us this idea that Ray is saying, yes, there's this whole big world out there and all these shifts in society taking place. But this story isn't really going to be about that. It's really Mm. going to be about this man and all the shifts that are going on with him as he goes through his life. And I don't know if it was because that second film felt to me, though it's a standalone piece of work and in its own right, 
probably a masterpiece. Maybe because it's a transition, because it is a film that feels bridged between Panchali and Apu, between the beginning, the origin story of this character, and then the culmination bringing him full circle, that I actually feel like weaker isn't the right term, but it's the one that grabbed me the least of the three. The World of Opu, I actually found in watching these two films to be the one that I had the most profound experience with, even more so, actually, than Panchali. Wow. Josh. Okay. And maybe we'll get into some of those reasons why. Again, it's not a slight at all on sure. the unvanquished. It's just the fact, I think, the sheer power of getting to this third film and seeing how it does all culminate. I hate to keep framing anything around this time of year in terms of the movie Boyhood, but as we've talked about several times, the accumulation of moments and how they pay off in that movie and how you're watching that life unfold on screen here you're getting a much greater span of time and it probably does even hit me harder than a movie like boyhood does because of that greater span but you really just feel like you're watching life unfold sure you're not just watching this life unfold it is specific in all the ways it needs to be specific but because it's so specific it feels universal it feels like ray has tapped into something that applies to every culture every person every time period i absolutely thought of boyhood and being the one person on our end of your panel who did not put in his top 10 list i'm going to ask can this be my boyhood i'll, I'll just take this one instead if that's okay i'll grant that as much as i did like boyhood i mean this is it it does for one thing it has that cinematic thrilling essence that is one of the things that held me back about boyhood and it's definitely here but it absolutely captures a full life lived mm-hmm. by selecting, as you said, all the right moments. To go back to your thought about The Unvanquished and why maybe it didn't strike you in quite the same way as the other two films, it's very different in that it becomes, and I know you really appreciated this element of of Padre Panchali, but it really becomes the mother's story in mm-hmm. so many ways, The Unvanquished. And she is played again by Karuna Banerjee. Wow. I mean, the She's performance amazing. here, the way she captures, it's not that... She has scenes where, okay, think about what you might want to evoke with motherhood. Joy, sadness, longing as children grow older. It's not that she captures those, here's her scene of joy, here's her scene of sad. Every scene with this woman hits all three of those notes somehow at the same time. And just to watch her do that makes you realize when you see some of those thinner performances that we get in other family drama films that aren't doing that, that are setting up walls. This is going to be our scene that does this. This is going to be... You could say this for this whole trilogy, I think, that Mm -hmm. there's so many dynamics going on at once, not just one emotion being told, one point being made. And boy, it's all right there in that performance. Well perfectly everything you just described i realize as we have yet to tape the episode of film spotting that's coming friday with michael phillips and going to get into our favorite performances of the year some of the same terms and phrases you just used to describe the mother here i used to describe patricia arquette i, I was thinking of her too right in her best supporting boy, actress yes, nomination sure. so there's no doubt too you see your mother a lot more than i do because she lives not too far away whereas right. my mom is five hours away or so in iowa this so badly made me want to call my mom. I mean, really? it just made me feel so bad for every time I ever not fully appreciated her or yep. took her for granted. I think this movie should have that effect on most viewers watching it. But what's unique about what the movie captures, too, is it's it's not the guilt trip idea of the son leaving and the mother being left behind because they're both on the same page. Exactly. When she she realizes this 
is good for him mm-hmm. to go to college to to explore this new world to become something different right. than what and we're all they guilty had of been. it. But at some it, point, you have to turn your back. Yes, but at the same time, it captures how just devastating mm-hmm. that is for her and. The way the movie handles their final separation with the final scenes in The Unvanquished, we can go back here to the camera placement that we've talked about. Let's talk about it, yeah. And just Opu visiting his mother, coming back to the home. She had been ill. Right. And he goes into the courtyard searching for her. She doesn't answer him. And the camera just stays outside of the walls of this courtyard. It doesn't follow him in. And then we wait and wait and wait. We see him come out a door to the right of the frame. Again, the camera has stayed there. Yeah. And, and it's just, it just pans to show it him. Just move. Pans it just pans to show him coming out again without her. And it's it's such a sad moment because we know the same thing that the film knows, but he doesn't know yet yeah. is that th- this isn't your home anymore. Mm-hmm. For good. Like, yeah. this is not your home anymore. It's not that this is a place you can come back to when you feel like it, when you want a good meal. It's gone. Yeah. And that's just devastating. It is. It is devastating. And you're right. It's all captured there with the camera. And in some ways, this whole trilogy, I think, you could sum up as being about that rejection of domesticity or home, whatever home stands for. Maybe home stands for the old way of life, and I'm trying to progress to evolve and become part of the world. And tying into that is this sort of rejection of duty, right? This idea that you're the husband, and there are certain things that you have to do, even if they're not the things you want to do. And the father in Father Panchali only kind of accomplishes his duties, whereas the mother fulfills all of them, Mm -hmm. right? And then with Apu, we see that translate as well to this third film as we see him now becoming someone who has to decide, am I actually going to marry someone? Am I going to continue living this solitary life and be just a complete free spirit who embraces whatever he wants to embrace? Or am I going to tie myself down in some way to this type of life? And there's no doubt that when he does get married and we see some of those domestic scenes and we look at his young bride preparing breakfast or preparing whatever she is doing throughout the day, man, it harkens back to the mother in The Unvanquished. Absolutely. And those opening scenes or all of the scenes you see her in Father Panchali, there's no doubt about it. So this rejection of, of a sense of duty that then by the end of this trilogy, he finally embraces it all comes together there at the end of the film. And I want to go back to the mother just briefly because my favorite moments, and there are a lot of great moments with the camera and things that Ray does and his cinematographer here, Subrata Mitra, and the editing, how they all express the different things he's trying to express. But there are particular uses of close-ups and the camera and repetition that I so responded to. And there are at least two instances, maybe more than that, where the camera starts on a scene. It might actually be more of a medium shot. There's a couple characters in the scene. There's one I'm thinking of, for example, where she has a great uncle or something who's sort of advising them and helping them out a little bit. And he is talking at one point while they're eating about, oh, he'll go on and be a priest. Apu will be a priest like his father and whatever. And these scenes all start, or after that, the moments the mother has, they start with her having a look of concern on her face, having almost a frown of sadness, and she considers it, and she ends up smiling. We see that multiple times. But then how that's contrasted when Apu says, I want to go to Calcutta, I want to study. She's rejected that, said you can't do it. Then she comes around and says, I have to let you go. I'm going to let you go. He goes out 
and runs outside mm-hmm. and celebrates and is so excited to go. And she's smiling as she's watching him, as he's enjoying the moment. And then that smile, that close-up, it turns into where those other moments started. It's that frown. It's that concern. It's that sadness. There's a melancholy there in that recognition. And those just little shifts in the way the camera captures those moments is what makes these movies so magical. Yeah, wonderful reversal there. She has another great close-up in The Unvanquished where she is deciding whether or not they should stay in the city or go to that uncle who lives in a more rural area because her employer situation is changing. And as she's thinking about this, she's coming down the stairs. You can tell that's on her mind. And the camera doesn't go to meet her. It, it doesn't track away from her. It just sits there waiting for her each step, bringing her closer mm-hmm. to an actual close-up. She walks into this lovely close-up, and then we get one of those moments of experimentation I'm talking about where suddenly there's a swish pan to the side, the scream of the train again, and they're off. It's like that's communicating her yeah. decision. And just that sort of that sort of little touches there are just so surprising and, and startling uh, in, in the exact right way. Mm-hmm. And another train comment, <laughs> this is getting to the world of Opu. I like how that is reversed as well. Here, what were these symbols of excitement and, like I said, modernity, possibility, promise, suddenly become a little threatening? You mentioned how his apartment, it's sort of a hovel (laughs) that he lives in, is over a rail yard. And we see early on that the trains are belching smoke and, and it's kind of ugly when his wife goes out there and hears the whistle which was she covers her she ears. covers her ears it's no longer this uh, appealing sound and there's even a moment involving potential suicide yeah. at the rail yard which recalled to me Umberto D from a few years earlier something quite similar and I just love how the trains are up and I think that speaks again to this idea that this isn't a throwing away of tradition this isn't a throwing away of uh, rural life for city life or for progress necessarily it's more capturing the tension of trying to bridge the gap between the two for sure or you think that's what it's going to be and then you discover life maybe has other plans and it doesn't hold up to that initial vision though it's really subtle in the way it's expressed here the first for me really striking sequence with the camera in the world of opu guess what takes place along the train tracks. It's when his friend, who we meet in the Unvanquished from school, comes to see him. He takes him out for a good meal, which Mm -hmm. he hasn't had in a long time, and they're talking. This scene goes on about four minutes. They're walking along. It seems to be some tracks. It's late at night, but there's a light in the distance. You can see some engines along the path there. And they're talking about this notion of duty and how he doesn't want to have any responsibilities, no ties. He's going to be free and he's just going to travel around the world. And we get this tracking shot in front of them that just sort of goes with them. It moves with them in a long shot. So you see most of their bodies. And as they get closer to the camera, you see how at ease they are with each mm-hmm. other, by the way, the camera moves with them. And then it cuts to a close up. It's been a pretty long take. It cuts to the close-up right on the moment where Apu decides to explain what his novel's about. Well, it makes sense that it cuts to that close-up on him because that's all this story is. He's basically relating his story, his autobiography. And it's accurate, right? If someone had not seen the previous two films and they just started watching The World of Apu, they basically could watch that scene and be filled in, right? You have the whole story based on the way he's describing his past through this character he's talking about in his novel. The close-up only ends when the story ends. And 
only Josh, after getting through the whole movie, do you realize that this whole scene has been some really tragic foreshadowing because he's said he's going to write this story before he's really lived, hmm. before he's experienced a whole lot himself. Now, he's suffered a lot through two For films. Sure. You can't believe how many people close to him you have watched die and how much more can he take. And guess what? He's going to get even more in the third film. But his greatest suffering at that moment does lie ahead. And to come out with that kind of wisdom, the wisdom he describes in his novel that there's this great moral, there's this great lesson to his story. To really understand that, he doesn't know it yet. You have to go through that pain. He hasn't yet, but he's going to. You also, they talk about love. They have to experience love, and he has no previous experience with that either. And the camera pulls back and it fades as their argument continues. Yep. And I love that touch because it just gives you the sense that this is one of those arguments that there's no finality to, not just between them, but it's kind of the argument about life in some way, this notion of imagination versus experience and whether or not you can ever truly have a handle on what you think it's all about just when you think you have a handle on it, guess what? Something is going to come along and change your entire perspective. Sure. So, yeah, it's, it's capturing that unfinished nature of it. It's also lending a sense of intimacy to the scene by, by we're leaving now. You know, yeah. they're, not, they're not here for us yeah. to perform for us. They're going to keep talking. We're going to draw away. And I did notice in the world of Opu that that was a technique frequently used where the camera would be in close and then slowly back away. It's especially crucial when we get those domestic scenes between between Opu and his new wife. So Opu here is played by Sumitra Chatterjee and his wife Aparna is played by Sharmila Tagore. And what, how sweet is it that we get this middle section of the world of Opu of their initial, after they get married, unsurety about each other, and then just this montage of pure domestic bliss. And that camera pulling back occasionally happens here where it's mm -hmm. like, we're going to give them their space, their moment. The, these actors together, I mean, you you want to talk about what does chemistry look like? Well, it looks like this. Yeah. They take turns fanning each other. I'm not sure if it's for the heat or to keep flies off the food, uh, but but that's a, a common gesture that they give to each other. Just watching them do that is among the most romantic things you know I've seen in any film. It's so true. And there's a wonderful montage just cataloging these things. And to have known what this character went through, the, the close relationships that he had that are no longer with him and to see this new one flowering was just a wonderful respite. Now, it also speaks to this idea of traditional roles that he has embraced it. You mentioned how his wife goes through some of the same motions and responsibilities as his mother, but but he's noticeably different than his father. I wondered about that at For first. Sure. You know, I thought the father was also, as you said, a writer, and he would frequently leave the family. He wasn't very responsible. He wasn't around a lot, and he you got the sense that he just had these dreams of who he would be, and the daily life of the family came at the expense of those. But notice a couple details we get here. Opu is writing this novel after having a job and a half, right? I believe he's a tutor at night. He has another job during the day. She at one point talks to him about, you, you just, we don't have a lot of money, but you need to lose one of these jobs mm -hmm. so that I can be with you more. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely believe that moment between them. So there's, there's this instance of where they come to embrace tradition, but on better terms yeah. than what perhaps his parents did. Well, that whole storyline, where this goes when he goes with his friend to this wedding, he's reluctant to even go to the wedding, yeah. right? He yeah. doesn't even want to just go as a visitor. And then when he does, it gets sprung on him that, 
oh, by the way, we need you to get married. Uh We need you to step in for the bridegroom because he's gone a little bit crazy. It all happens very quickly. It happens very quickly. (laughs) And I worried at the time I was watching it that it was happening too quickly. And not only was that happening too quickly, but his ultimate decision to go ahead and accept that role and be the bridegroom— I was very concerned because I wasn't sure that I was going to buy. Just too out of character. Yeah, too out of character based on everything we've heard. But, of course, as we've discussed, he's also a character grappling, as this whole trilogy is, with duty, Mm -hmm. with responsibility, with domesticity. He's bluffing when he's talking to his friend to a certain degree. That's You know, about being the world traveler. Right. So then he gets this chance to do something noble, as he puts it later, and he does accept that challenge. And I was very worried that what I was going to watch then for the next hour, Josh, was the story of a man who boxes himself into a corner, regrets his decision, struggles with his domesticity, and is miserable, kind of like his father seems to be. I thought that is where this might be going. What I didn't expect is that the world of Opu was going to become the future top five selection on any list concerning the most romantic movies ever, mm-hmm. because it really is. I was on Twitter just a couple of days ago before seeing this, and a writer had tweeted something about how he had to put together a list of the top 20 most romantic movies ever, but he wasn't really into romantic movies. And I said, well, before sunrise, before sunset, brief encounter, you got 17 left. You're welcome. <laughs> it turns out... This writer had never seen Brief Encounter and didn't really care much about the before movies. Well, you know what? If I had seen this at the time, I would have thrown in The World of Opu, and I would have said you have 16 left. Before we get to some of those great scenes, that montage you talked about, and really see how their love for each other blossoms, that wedding night encounter. Wow. That's the most stunning sequence in this movie. And again, all comes back to staging and framing with the camera. Absolutely. We don't see... The wedding itself, right? He shows us the preparation for it, and then he shows us the aftermath. And in this scene, she's in the foreground on the right side. He's in the background on the left side. There's a bed, which makes sense for this new couple, separating them. There's no sense of intimacy between these people who literally just met and now are supposed to be together the rest of their lives. They've got this gap, this huge gap, figuratively and literally, between them. And even as he opens up, And she opens up a little bit, and they do actually get to know each other over the course of this scene, this dialogue. Notice that he never really crosses the threshold. The camera follows him, but he never fully comes around. He never does end up on her side. And that is obviously very telling about this, this gap that they have to breach. But then we see them breach it. And even taking the time, I love this touch where she's just gotten to the apartment. I think it might even be that day. And he steps out for a second and she starts crying. Mm -hmm. And we sit on her and really take in the scene of her crying because there's a clear sense that if not feeling like she's made a mistake, we have to at least accept that she is Sad. She's emotional about what she's given up, about life in this new place, how this is going to be a struggle. We can forgive her for all of that, but she's very upset. And then what does she hear as we talk about roles and duty? She hears that baby. She hears a baby cry outside. And we get this great close-up of her, again, a great close-up, where her one eye is kind of obscured as she's just spying through the curtains. And she looks down at that baby. And... That then shifts her entire perspective. We know then, just from the way the camera frames that and how that scene plays out, that they're going to have a child and that her wanting to have a child is something very important 
to her, even if it's something she just discovered in that moment. She might have just discovered that longing in that moment. But those little details, him waking up, and as she got out of bed, he finds her hairpin, and he's kind of playing with it. And and that scene where she's prepping something, and he's just smiling at her, and she's like, I'm nothing new. What's the the big deal? Have you stared long enough? Just everything. The knowing smile as he opens up his cigarettes, the smile they share, this kind of mischievous look as he opens his cigarettes, and there's a note from her saying... You were going to wait until after dinner and only have these after dinner. You know, they're changing each other. They're doing Mm -hmm. what couples are supposed to do. They are altering each other, but in the best way. They're not having to dismiss who they were before, but they're just growing. They're evolving. So given all that, when you realized (sighs) what was coming. I think I may have paused the DVD. I just felt like. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I well, didn't want I didn't want to suffer through it and I couldn't <laughs> believe that this man had to suffer through what happens to his and wife. To be completely honest, there was a part of me that was just like, come on. You know, it, right. it's like, are we are How we going to go to this again? He's becoming Job <laughs> now, right? <laughs> right, right. It's, it's like, do you really need to go to this again? Couldn't you could you come up with something new? But it is so crucial. I I think eventually by the end of the film, I felt that not only is it handled as delicately and sensitively as the deaths we saw in Pather Panchali. Mm-hmm. We talked about capital T tragedy and just capturing the real life emotions that accompany such events. Not only does it hand not only does the world of Opu handle these tragic scenes similarly, but I think by the time it's necessary to get us, let's put it this way, it's necessary to get us to the other end of that circle mm-hmm. where we are brought again to a young boy yes. who's in a traditional situation, a little bit lost because of loss, and is now about to embark on possibly promise, possibly peril. We don't know, but it's similar to what his father faced and we really we really can't get there unless there is something like that third act tragedy in the film completely agree and the fact that it ends the way it does which is undoubtedly on a happy oh, yeah, note for sure and undoubtedly on a hopeful note nevertheless it's still tinged with the sadness of loss mm-hmm. which you can tell he's never going to be over as you would expect he wouldn't but also it's not a case where he comes back as the heroic dad and the kid just says Dad, I can't believe you're finally here. Let's go off and live happily ever after. The way that's handled in terms of that dialogue they have and that understanding they come to is just perfect, like so many other things in this movie. And, of course, it's also not really a surprise, is it, that the train is what takes his wife away. It takes her away forever. For sure. It's ultimately what does bring him back to his son as well. But I'm with you. It's about coming full circle. I think that's why this film hit me so much that it might be, for whatever it's worth, my favorite of the three, actually looking at them, because it has to end where it begins, outside the city, back in nature. We see him looking at it with different eyes. He's older. He now has that experience and can draw whatever kind of conclusions he's trying to draw as a young, brash man who thinks he has all the answers as an inspiring writer. But his son now seeing that young Apu, we immediately flash back 
to him at that age oh, and Father Panchali. And how great it is that the kid's a troublemaker, too, yeah, right? Course. I mean, that's that's what we first see when we, before we even know who the kid is, though we have an idea, we see him causing trouble in the woods and, and amongst the villagers and so forth. And right. I just love that touch. It is wonderful. This whole trilogy is wonderful. Looking forward to what's in store over the course of the rest of this marathon. We do have three more movies. The next one up is The Music Room. It actually was released between these two films. 1958 is when it came out. And you can find the full lineup over at filmspotting.net. Click on marathons for all of that info. These three films, unlike the previous three here that we've talked about, are more readily available. Criterion has editions of these movies out there, and I believe Hulu Plus also has them. So Netflix, I think, also has copies of these three movies. So maybe more people following along out there as we discuss these next three films. But also something we'll just hint at here, Josh, we'll tease a little bit because we didn't print out all the details, but some listeners have written in and said, you know, it's hard to get a good transfer of this movie. It's hard to find any of the Apu movies, but there have been these rumblings, and it seems as if there is something firmly in the works later this year, Criterion Collection doing a full set of the Apu trilogy. So I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. That would be much appreciated. <laughs> 